0: everyone, and welcome back to the Dead Letters Podcast. I am your host, VB Morris. Before we get things started today, I have two announcements. First, I am thrilled to let you know that the Dead Letters Podcast has been nominated for an AudioVerse Award. In case you aren't familiar with them, the AudioVerse Awards recognizes audio dramas, plays, and other spoken word performances, and the many creative people who make them a reality. Thank you to those who nominated the show. Also, the special episode I did with Brian from I Have So Many Questions podcast will be released on both his feed and my feed this coming Thursday, October 10th. So be on the lookout for that. Now for the recap. Fiona, failing to fully follow Charlotte's instructions, found herself in a dangerous situation with Grace attempting to kill both herself and Fiona. Fiona makes a recovery after being in a coma for almost a week. But as she stays one more night in the hospital, she is visited by the apparitions of Grace and a woman who she believes to be Charlotte. Now, let's get into it. The Dead Letters Podcast. Episode 8, Prison or the Morgue. My mom entered my hospital room. I wanted to tell her about what I had seen last night, but I stopped myself. She would only give me the same pitying look that the doctor gave me the night before. How's my baby girl doing this morning? She cooed. I brought you a change of clothes. She helped me out of my hospital gown and into a pair of sweatpants and a large Boston College t-shirt. Jacob had bought me when I had visited his alma mater years ago. After I was dressed and ready to go, a nurse came with a wheelchair to escort me out of the hospital. I was wheeled out onto the curb. The fresh cold air hit me like I had been thrown into a pool of ice water. I shivered, but I forced myself to stay still. I looked up to see my father, brothers and Paul, standing there in a semicircle waiting for me. My mother stepped away from my wheelchair and stood next to my father. I looked up at them all, confused. They all had strange, beaming smiles on their faces, like they were posing for a picture while someone figured out how to work the camera. Paul stepped forward and came closer to me. Fiona, he started, in the last four months that I've known you, I've been the happiest I've ever been. I used to doubt that I'd ever meet someone who would make me feel like I want to have a future with her. But as soon as I saw you the first time, speed walking across campus with an ungodly amount of books in your hands, I knew you were special. And over the time you've let me get to know your beautiful soul, I have fallen madly in love with you. Since you were almost taken from me, I knew I couldn't let you go any longer without making you a part of my future. He got down on one knee. Pulling a black velvet box from his coat, he opened it and displayed it in my direction. Fiona Mary Ann Weatherly, will you do me the honor of becoming my wife? A silly smile crossed his face as his eyes begged for an answer. My mom clung to my dad's arm as tears fell down her puffy red cheeks, this time in happiness, not fear. Peter and Jacob leaned forward as if they might miss hearing my answer. Nurses and patients who were nearby stopped what they were doing and gaped at us. It felt like the whole world was waiting for my answer. It felt like the whole world wanted me to say yes. So I did. Yes, I will, I answered him. Paul lunged forward and kissed me before he placed the ring on my finger. I had to contain my horror as I looked down upon it. The ring was the gaudiest thing I'd ever seen. It was overly ornate with a medieval-style leaf pattern on the band, which had multicolored gemstones embedded in them. But I didn't have time to think about the ring. I was whisked away in a van my parents had rented and headed back towards my house. "'We're going to pack up what you need, and then we'll come down later for the rest,' my mom said to me." "'What?' I asked. We're going to take you home after this," my dad said. Paul stroked my hand as he sat next to me in the back seat. It'll be fine. I'll come up and visit you every chance I get. I'm not moving back home. I was furious at them for making this decision for me. Honey, you can't be serious, said my mom. Of course I'm serious, I said with my jaw clenched in anger. I know I almost died, but I don't want to have the life I was living taken away from me. I like going to school. I like living on my own. I don't need to be taken home like some child." "'You can come back next semester,' said Peter. "'Mom and Dad already talked about it to the Dean. The only thing is you'll have to take these classes over again,' he placed his hand on my shoulder. I wrangled my body out from his touch. "'What? No. Absolutely not. You are not going to flush all the hard work I put into this semester down the drain.' "'We just think it's better for you to rest and recover at home,' said my mom. I have less than ten days left before winter break, and then I get five weeks off of school. I can rest then. You're not going to delay me graduating college just because you're scared. Do you really want to live in the house where that happened? And you're going to be there all alone. I can't have that. I simply can't have that." My dad stared at the road as he drove on in anger. I won't be alone. Morgan is there, I told them. Morgan got the school to let her stay in a friend's dorm room until the end of the semester. She already moved her stuff out, said Paul. I kept forgetting that almost a week had passed since the incident. I'm not going home. You paid money for me to go here and you're going to lose thousands of dollars if I don't finish the semester, I told my dad. What's money? He dismissed me. I let out a laugh. All he ever seemed to care about was money when I was growing up. You're not staying in that house alone. And there isn't even a free bed left in student housing. I checked, said my mom from the front seat of the car. There is simply no other option. Paul came to my defense. I'll stay with her. If you think you're sleeping in the same bed as my unmarried daughter, you've got another thing coming. My dad leered at him before focusing back on the road. No, no, not like that. Paul was almost blushing. I'd sleep in Morgan's old room. The mattress is still there. I'll just move some of my things in. I'll make sure that Fiona is safe 100% of the time. It's only 10 days. I promise there will be nothing inappropriate going on. My father let out a low grumble. Fine, you better not be lying or there'll be a world of hurt coming your way, pal. Don't worry, everything will be fine, I said to the both of them. For the rest of the car ride, my parents laid down the ground rules for how Paul and I were to behave and how I was supposed to check in with them every time as I so much breathed in a new location. Hiding their concerned looks, my family waved goodbye to the two of us after dropping us off outside the little house. Once inside, Everything felt different. The heat had been off for days, so it was as cold as a morgue when we walked in. And it was so silent, too. I was used to hearing either Grace or Morgan prattling around upstairs, that the atmosphere now felt empty. "'How are you feeling?' asked Paul. "'I'm still in shock,' I said. "'I don't know how to feel just yet.' "'That's totally okay.' He wrapped his arms around me and gave me a kiss. "'But how does it feel to be my future bride?' he went on. "'Amazing,' I said and kissed him again. He leaned deeper into me, and his hands ran down my body. He was about to slip his hands past the waistband of my sweatpants when we heard something rustling outside the door. What's that? He turned towards the door. Let me check it out. I went to follow him, but he motioned for me to stay back. I leaned out from behind the wall that led to the kitchen to watch him open the door. The door swung open to reveal Marco, leaving a basket on my doorstep. Who are you? Paul snapped at him. I rushed to the door past Paul, and threw my arms around Marco. Oh, thank god you're alright, Marco said to me. Paul cleared his throat. throat. I let go of Marco and introduced them. So this is Marco. Paul shot me a look with narrow eyes. Yeah, we've been friends since freshman year, I explained. I didn't mean to disrupt you, said Marco. I just wanted to leave this. He handed me a small wicker basket that held pink carnations and a stuffed animal. I really do hope you feel better soon. I'm so sorry for what happened," he told me. That's really sweet of you, I said. Yes, very sweet. Paul looked impatient. I think I'd like to enjoy the rest of the night with my fiancé, but nice to meet you. Paul started to close the door. Fiancé? Marco asked, his dark eyes locked onto mine before they fell to the ring on my finger. Yes, we got engaged, I said. Oh, congratulations, he forced a smile. Thanks, Marco, I looked down at the basket. This really means a lot. Sure thing, he muttered before he gave a quick wave and turned away. Paul shut the door, but he didn't go back to kissing me. Instead, he said something about needing to take a shower and went upstairs. In the kitchen, I filled a large glass with water and used it as a vase for Marco's flowers. Setting the vase down next to the stuffed animal Marco gave me, I noticed that it was a husky with different colored eyes, just like my eyes. My face lit up as I looked at the little toy. There was a breath on my neck and I jumped. It was Paul. He was standing behind me with angry eyes locked onto me. I need to ask you something, he started. Okay. Why did you think I was that guy, Marco at the hospital? He asked. What do you mean? I furrowed my brow at him. When I came to you and I was standing outside, waiting for your parents to finish visiting you, you thought I was him. Why would he be at the hospital? Irritation was growing in his eyes and contorting his face, making him look 10 years older. I don't know, I was still coming off the drugs, I said. Well, that boy is clearly in love with you. Oh, please. I rolled my eyes, even though I knew Paul was right. Plus, he's not a boy. We're all the same age. I'm so sick of you acting like you're somehow older and wiser than everyone. I do not act like that. He crossed his arms over his chest and stared at the flowers I had put in the vase. He's a boy because he's too stupid to know that carnations are for funerals, A kind of a tone-deaf gift to give someone who almost died. Relax, he didn't mean anything by it. I turned to rearrange the flowers. He then scooped up the glass with the flowers and tossed the whole thing into the garbage can. Hey, those were a gift. Yeah, and you seem to be paying more attention to them, these cheap flowers some goth looking kid gave you, than a $10,000 rings I proposed to you with. The muscles in his jaw flinched with anger. Don't do this, not now, I said. "'I know. You've been through a lot, and I've been trying to be patient, but it's like you don't even want to be with me,' he said. "'Of course I do,' I told him. "'Then prove it,' he said. I went over to him and kissed him. At first, he barely seemed interested, but then things picked up. Our clothes started peeling off one by one. We rushed upstairs to my bedroom, where I laid across my bed in nothing but my purple underwear.' He was topless with his jeans still on. He threw his body over mine and kissed me hard. Pulling at my hair, he asked, are you going to be my wife? I nodded, good. A look of pleasure rose across his face. I slipped my hands over his backside and dipped them into his pockets. The right pocket was empty and his left pocket contained his wallet. But instead of feeling the smooth leather of a wallet, I felt something metallic and pointy. I wrapped my fingers around it and pulled it up so I could see. I found myself holding a gold badge that had the words Boston Police embossed across the top. Towards the bottom, the word Detective was printed over a detailed pattern of the city seal. Paul was still kissing me, now at my neck, moving closer to my breasts. I stared at it, thinking that it wasn't real, that maybe it was just my mind playing tricks on itself. And then I remembered what Charlotte wrote, your mind is not playing tricks on you. I sat up, knocking Paul backwards. "'Hey, what are you doing?' he asked. What is this? I held up the badge and his face dropped. Fuck, he uttered. Are you a cop? And are you from Boston, I asked? You said you were from Ohio. I said a lot of things, he muttered, looking down at the bedspread. The captain is going to fucking kill me. Not if I kill you first, I said, pushing him off the bed. Why didn't you tell me about this? He stood up and gathered his shirt from the floor. Paul, answer me. First of all, that's not my name, okay? He snapped. What's your name then? I stared at him in disbelief. It's Jack, and I'm a 31 year old detective on the Boston Police Force, he said. I was never really your boyfriend, or fiance, or whatever. His attitude changed, becoming colder than I was used to. And uh, you might want to put on some clothes now. He pointed towards me, and I suddenly realized I was almost completely naked. I pulled a blanket off the bed and wrapped it around myself. Why were you pretending then? Why did you ask to marry me? Why were you about to have sex with me if you weren't really my fiancé?" I thought you'd, uh, open up more. Give more information than you normally would share if you, uh, had sex with someone, or planned to get married to them. You know, all that bonding and trust that, uh, sex and relationships bring. What did I do to deserve this? I never committed a crime. What information could I possibly have? I asked him. It's not you. He raised his eyes to me. Then who? Look, I'm not supposed to say, but I'll clue you in a little bit because, well, even though I was never really your boyfriend, I still liked hanging out with you a bit. I mean, you're pretty nice to look at, and you're not the empty-headed college girl I thought I would be with when I got this assignment, so let's just keep this between you and me, he said, putting his shirt back on over his head. I looked up at him, waiting for him to tell me. Let's just say you need to open your eyes to what your father does for a living. What? I- I'm gonna call him right now, and- I started. That's not so smart. He sat down on the chair across from my bed, putting his shoes back on. If your father's associates find out his daughter has been sleeping with a cop, he's done. Your whole family is done. Keep your mouth shut if you want to survive. Just don't listen to a word your old man says, and uh, try to keep your distance, okay? First of all, I started, I never actually slept with you. And why would any of my father's business associates even care who I was dating? He looked at me and gave me a crooked smile. I don't believe you, you're lying, I said. Oh yes, the Boston police force paid a detective to pretend to be a college kid, get cozy with some girl who doesn't even put out if there was nothing in it for them. Listen, I gotta get out of here. But if you keep quiet about this and stay away from your family, you just might avoid prison or the morgue. The Dead Letters podcast is written and produced by me, V.P. Morris. If you enjoyed today's episode, please help support the show by leaving a five-star review. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.